every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and each week, give or take, I'm joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, authors and educators, to discuss two to four episodes of Joss Whedon's critically acclaimed series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and its spin-off series, Angel. I've been a fan of both shows since their original runs, and I've spent many years talking to lots of people about them, but I've somehow never done a full rewatch, so this is going to be my first time going back through all the way from the beginning. I am familiar with the story and where everything's going, but my guests are likely going to be educating me at least as much as they will be our listeners, probably more so. Uh, and with me tonight, uh, again, sticking around from last time, Elizabeth Rambo. Elizabeth, thank you for uh, keeping the bench warm this whole time. <laughs> this whole time. This whole time. I'm happy to be here, Paul. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for, for waiting on me. You, I assume you've just been sitting there. You had so much fun last time that uh, you're going to be my regular co-host, right? That's what's going on. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll we'll discuss that. Uh, we'll do contracts off off mic. Um, okay. So for anyone who, for some reason, is listening to this without having listened to our previous episode, I'll just remind everyone that uh, you are associate professor of English at Campbell University. You are a contributor to the Slayage uh, Journal of Whedon Studies. And you're our co-editor and contributing author to uh, Buffy Goes Dark, essays on the final two seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer on television. So I want to, when I was, uh, when I was listening back uh, to the previous episode, doing my editing, I, I completely embarrassed myself when I realized how exactly I had pronounced your chapter in uh, Buffy Goes Dark. Um, oh, it's, it's Yates, correct? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. It's Yates and Tropic Gyre in season six. For some reason I said Yates. And even as I said it, I was like, what, what is wrong with you? Anyways, I just wanted to confirm. I do actually well, know I, how to pronounce I'm that. I'm never going to correct somebody on the air. I mean, that's just not nice. Well, f correct me as often and as uh, loudly as you want, please. That's why you're here. So, okay. All right. Anyways, um, so before we get into the show, I need to give the dreaded spoiler warning. Uh, Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and lots of them. So I recommend, if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series all the way through at least once, you press pause on this podcast now and go do that. Obviously, you're going to get so much more out of these discussions if you've actually seen the shows that we are discussing. So please go watch, and we'll still be here when you get back. And that brings us to... Uh, to the real show. So uh, if we're both ready, if we are both um, 
comfortable and have our beverages of choice, uh, let's go to work. Let's go. Let's go. So tonight, uh, maybe slightly meatier selection of episodes than I think we had uh, on our last outing. I don't know. There, there may be more room for discussion here. So tonight we're talking about episodes 106, The Pack, 107, Angel, and 108, I, Rob- I Robot, You, Jane. Um, one of these things, maybe not like the others. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So, Elizabeth, off the straight off the bat, I just want to know what what is your take on these three episodes? Well, these are actually I think all three of these are very important episodes. Um, even though, well, we'll say some things about iRobot, <laughs> I'm sure, but um, many people and I'm among them say the pack is the episode that sold them on Buffy, even if they were a little bit iffy. Mm-hmm. Then, because in the pack, I mean, this is the first real horror that we get. Yeah, um, I think I, I had I had so forgotten how much that I enjoy that episode. Uh, this was a real eye opener when I revisited. Um, yeah, I, I had clearly I had no memory. I remember the episode existed, and I, I remembered what it was, but obviously. Um, I needed a refresher course. So I'm a, I'm a retired zookeeper. I was a zookeeper for over a decade. Um, and as such, it's always, it's always a crapshoot when I go into any, uh, any sort of pop culture, um, that deals with animals that uses animals or animalism or whatever. There's, there's no guarantee of how exactly I'm going to respond to that. Sometimes I roll my, often I roll my eyes at the various like cliches or, you know, misinterpretation of animal behavior or whatever, but I don't know, for some reason, this sort of monster, the wink weak angle that they used in this one really works for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, this is what, I mean, you know, in terms of a lot of horror movies that you might see, there's, there's not a lot. It's mostly suggested Mm -hmm. off screen, but the concepts, you know, mentally, it's horrifying in a way that the previous episodes, I think, were not. I, I mean, they went there. <laughs> yeah. So it's so it's so weird. This is a television series that focuses on vampires and other like man-eating monsters, but for some reason, the idea of cannibalism—not yeah. not the idea, the fact that it freaking happens. Uh, kind of bothers me like i don't know it it made me genuinely uncomfortable i am not squeamish about that or anything typically but i don't know i i just i can't help but wonder what becomes of those four kids like yeah i mean obviously they don't go to prison they're the even just halfway through the first season we've already discovered that law enforcement is kind of a joke in the (laughs) in the Sunnydale. So I didn't expect them to like get arrested and prosecuted for, for that. But I mean, just imagining that those four kids go on and have to live their lives with the knowledge that they ate to their principal. Right. I mean, we don't even get Xander dealing with that much. So he clearly remembers it. Sorry. Yeah. Get to that. No, a, no, that's you don't get to that till the end of the episode. But yeah, he's. I mean, that's a significant detail. Fortunately, well, fortunately, they they were 
<laughs> kind enough to us and to the character of Xander that he was elsewhere. I mean, there yeah, that's we can right. we yeah. can debate how much of a kindness it was considering what he was doing, but he was not one of them that was eating the principal. So right. So well, that whole sequence. I mean, the cannibalism is intricate with the as Buffy clearly says, felon, the sexual assault. I mean, it's 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 bad. Yeah. Okay. So let's go there. <laughs> let's go straight to it. Um, I'm so glad that you were like uh, a season six and seven expert here (laughs) because um, there are, there are various things that fans had took issues with uh, in season six that some fans took issue with in season six. Yeah. Um, Certain, certain events, certain moods, tones, whatever, certain characters. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Again, as I said, I had forgotten how much I loved this episode. I had also obviously forgotten a very salient detail that uh, Xander, our beloved Xander, one of the core members of the Scooby gang, um, attempts to rape Buffy. Yeah. Um, That's a big damn deal that I can't believe I had completely forgotten. Mm -hmm. And the characters completely forget, like, to the best of my knowledge... I don't think that ever comes up again. No, it it doesn't because they dismiss it as well. You were under a spell. You were possessed. You were you know you weren't you. So there's a lot of that. Yeah. So they they don't blame him for it, or they don't they think that wasn't really Xander, but he knows that he did that. Yeah. So there's a couple reasons that this feels problematic to me. Um, yeah. I swear to God, this podcast is not going to become my my platform to bang the gavel <laughs> on these subjects. But this is just a thing that that I feel strongly about. Um, so he clearly he was under the influence of a thing. He was possessed or whatever. Um, but even though things are kept a little bit black and white here in the first season, as the show progresses, uh, the 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 lines blur between good and evil and you know choice and mm. compulsion and all that stuff um so you could argue and and i have and perhaps will again argue that uh some of the monsters that buffy and the scooby gang come up against um vampires other types of monsters are also operating under a kind of possession um Sure. Like, uh, like, okay, I'll, I'll just spit it out. So Spike <laughs> is the thing here. Yeah. Um, by season six, uh, by the end of season six, Spike as a character has, has progressed light years from where we eventually get to him. We haven't gotten to him yet in season one, but, uh, but like none of the Scooby gang, particularly Xander. And this, this is, is where I get hung up on this. Um, really do not want to give him the benefit of the doubt. They don't want to, uh, they really fight against the idea of Spike having any sort of redemption. And like, even though he is technically not like he's a possessed human or he's either inhuman, he's either a demon in a human body or he's a possessed human. It depends on what your interpretation of the, the mythology is at that point. Yeah. And this is, this is a point that is debated back and forth. The show itself is not really clear on mm-hmm. it. Like mm-hmm. what the relationship is between uh, a vampire and the human they used to be. Right. 
So, I mean, and I, it comes up in um, in Angel, so we'll be talking about that then. That's the first time it really is discussed. Um, and then, is that a special case? In the pack, what's going on here? I mean, when the students are possessed by the hyenas, um, you know, there's a part of them that's aware, but, you know, when Willow, when Xander's locked in the cage in the library, which is such a convenient little thing to have in the library. I know. Um, I know. Come, Willow, comes, it becomes important later, too. Yeah. Yes, it does. And Willow tests him to see, is it really you? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great little scene to show what the relationship is between them because she knows him. Right. Even though she might want him to care about her in a way that he doesn't, but she knows him. And uh, that was also you know, that was also a great scene because it showed at least the way I read that scene is that Willow, um, Willow, Willow was feigning her naivete yes. and innocence in there, like she was yes. she was deliberately baiting him to see if he was yeah. So absolutely, she's tougher than she seems. Yeah, and she's she's been. She's not going to fall for that uh, uh, attack, mm -hmm. that uh, technique that he used on her before when he was so cruel. Yeah. So, I mean, th this is this is one of those things that just sticks in my craw and, and does throughout the well, it didn't back then. But now I'm a bitter old veteran fan. <laughs> so <laughs> um, th this is one of those things that sticks in my craw and it's going to come up again. But like, you know, it it, it bugs me the fact that. You know, Xander basically gets a pass for this, and that so that that's one problem because that's that's on everybody else's that rests on everybody else's shoulders, like Buffy and Willow and Giles, who knows that he knows that that Xander was aware, basically give him a pass, and it's almost played off as a laugh line at the, in the end of that episode. Yeah, um, they don't give that pass to many people in the no. future. And it's also, it bugs me that Xander has the memories of doing that because what that means is that Xander is now, he now knows firsthand what it's like to be a slave to predatory instincts that maybe aren't necessarily his own or are exaggerated by, you know, a possessing force. Um, and, and, and we would hope that he would learn from that, but he doesn't seem to. Right. And in the more, so I'm obviously going on and on about Spike, which is unfair. We haven't even met that character yet. But like in the in the short term, uh, would this should apply to his, you know, his interactions with Angel. But, uh, or is that maybe why he's so distrustful of Angel? Because he basically sees Angel as a predator, and he knows what that's like. Xander knows what that what that is like. Wow. Okay. Nice. You 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 flipped the table on me there. I, I didn't see that coming. Um, I was going to say that you know the, he's got other issues with Angel, like the whole jealousy thing. Well, there's jealousy, yes. But but you're absolutely right. I suppose he could now use well if he if he would admit to people that he remembered what it was like. <laughs> never gonna do that. Which he won't. Uh, he could use that as an excuse for not trusting Angel because now he knows what it's like. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I don't know, Giles. There's a there's a lot of great lines in here. I mean, Giles saying when Buffy first tells Giles there's something wrong with Xander, and he says, "Oh, he's taken to teasing the less fortunate. He's 
turned into a teenage boy. <laughs> of course, you'll have to kill him. <laughs> yeah, of course, you'll have to kill him. <laughs> no, there are some great lines in this episode. Um, yeah. One of the reasons why this episode is so just remarkably good <laughs> to me is that uh, it is the first like straight up like genuinely horrible episode like horrific i mean episode yeah with you know high school kids eating that i was actually more disturbed by xander eating the pig i'm just, I'll, I'll confess but Flu- was pretty- flutie was a great character and it is a pretty gruesome idea that these teenagers would just rip him apart and eat him in the classroom but yeah it really does take something that's genuinely part of high school experience and pushes it all the way to yeah yeah the 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 metaphor the parallels to uh obviously school bullies and pack mentality and all that stuff i mean it's pretty sometimes some metaphors are a little more clever i guess maybe or whatever than others (laughs) this one seems on the nose but i don't even really care because it it, uh, it's pulled off so well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, anyways, the first genuinely horrific episode, but it also has some of the funniest lines. So, yeah. Uh, which is one of the things that Buffy the series pulls off so so well that Joss Whedon and all of his his associates managed to do in all of their stuff, actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, like my favorite line from the entire episode, possibly one of my favorite lines from the show, and this this is the zookeeper in me showing, <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> when uh, Xander and Willow run up to Buffy at the zoo and they're like uh, talking about the zebras having sex. And uh, Willow's <laughs> like, it was like the Heimlich with stripes. <laughs> That's, that is so, such a hilarious and disturbingly evocative <laughs> thing to, to mention. Anyways, I loved that line. Oh, and they man. were so, enth- so enthusiastic in the way they delivered it too. It was great. Yeah. That was oh, we, we also had Buffy saying, I can't believe you of all people are trying to scully me. Yes, that's a great line. God bless his pop culture lines, yeah. which he doesn't get at all. But... No, no. Um, man, okay, so what else did we get in this? Uh, oh, yeah, so before we head into Angel, where some very important stuff happens, we were just talking about the nature of the soul and good and evil and all that. It's interesting that in the episode right before the series plays it plays its hand or shows its hand like uh gives us the the primary ongoing belief that it is going to espouse on the nature of the soul um mm-hmm. that we are treated to a, a sort of a, a supernatural idea where a group some group of humans the primals the messiah uh believe the idea of people yeah, that the soul is somehow a perversion. Oh yeah, it's a, it's almost a throwaway line. It's just sort of the background uh, details that lead us to the the possessed. Um, uh-huh. Which is pretty much what vampires believe about. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that it was coming that that's a group. I mean, obviously there are evil humans in the in the series, but I don't know. I thought for some reason I thought it was interesting that a group of humans are saying soul is a perversion um Mm -hmm. animal nature is more is more divine or whatever and uh, i mean i suppose that lines up with where we're going with the whole idea of a soul when we get to angel but good point i didn't pick up on that so yeah so yeah angel um (laughs) yes well this is this is a big turning point for this this season Uh uh-huh 
Um, I, I guess the I guess the pack suffers in most people's estimations because it's kind of sandwiched between two of the most significant episodes in the first season. That could be. Yeah, maybe that's why I kind of forgot it. But anyways, I'm sorry. Angels, Angels, the big one for the season. Yeah. Um, and some people will say, and you can see whether this holds up, but I that the seventh episode of every season is a big one. That so. is, that is amazing. Um, I had not heard that applied to, like, television seasons. Well, for this, for Buffy, anyway, I don't know about in general. But... Oh, that the seventh episode of every like Buffy season. Every Buffy season, yeah. I. See, there needs to be okay. So I'm I'm speaking to an academic. Um, there, you need to write a paper about this because because um, oh, you know maybe I should. My 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 wife and I. One of the things we bought up when we get to the next episode, when we get to I Robot You Jane, I'll tell the story of how my wife and I met because it's it's uh, relevant. But okay. one of the things we bonded over early on was this sort of weird fascination that we both had for the seventh track on on uh, like music albums. Oh. We, we were of the opinion and we've since discovered that a lot of people have pointed this out. We weren't like trotting, you know, we weren't uh, pioneers in this or anything, but we felt like we had noticed that the seventh track on any musical album tends to be like the big one tends to be our favorite. It's why uh, my wife's online identity became track seven girl. Now I understand. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's weird for you to to bring out the uh seventh episode trope which had never mm. occurred to me before. Uh, I I it's not original with me but I'll talk to the person who came up with it and see if she'll let me. <laughs> now see now see in music I've I've try I've wondered is if that's because the seventh track is roughly that tends to be like the midpoint. Mhm. Um so maybe like the whoever the artist is loads their favorite or what they consider the best in the middle of the album. I don't know if that's a thing. And that would kind of fit here because this is a shorter season. But when you get to the longer seasons, 22 episodes, the seventh episode is no longer the midpoint. So, Right, but it still, I think, holds true. Huh. There's got to be some psychological reason, some pacing reason that that happens. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but um, yeah. Anyways, the episode. <laughs> the episode. The episode. <laughs> so what have you got for me about Angel? Okay, well, so this is big. We've been wondering who Angel is uh-huh. since the beginning of this season because, you know, he helps Buffy out in um, Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest. But he's mysterious. He you know, appears, disappears. He helps her out. He's gone. There's obviously chemistry between them, but nobody, she can't figure out what it is but uh oh we we get the master again you know his his plan is going forward he wants to get rid of buffy uh so we find out a lot in this episode this is there is a ton of information we get ton of information um she invites him into her house not knowing who he is that he's a vampire which is so ironic Mm um and uh it was so subtle the way that was played. Well, I don't know if subtle. Yeah. I don't know if subtle is the well, right word since they were running for their lives. But, but since if you don't, if you're watching this for the first time and you don't know he's a vampire, and she just says, "Come on!" and yeah, yeah, you know, is they're running for their lives. 
Yeah. Um, and then says, it's all right. Vampire can't come in unless you invite them. And he's already in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Although I do question why that vampire could reach through the door to grab at her, but whatever. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it's fine. Fully thought out, but yeah. Um, so the, the first like truly significant thing I noticed in this episode was that, um, Darla now at, over the course of the episode, Angel and Darla both shift dramatically closer to being the characters that we know from future episodes, yes. um, specifically Darla who suffered horribly in the first couple episodes. <laughs> um, that was not the character that, that we know at all. I feel like in the first couple episodes, but here, like almost right from the top, she is demonstrating much more of the, the strength of character, I guess. Um, yeah, much more nuance. Yeah, that that we know her for. Um, so that was a relief. Um, I was glad to be reminded that they did actually course correct a little for her. Uh, unfortunately, it came moments before, <laughs> like in the episode where they dust her. Yeah. That won't stick. That won't stick. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a while though before we see her again. Yeah. Um, well, we get her. We get her in flashbacks and stuff. But yeah, the real her we don't get again for a, a long time. Um. Oh, it, we get Giles explaining about vampires. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is a little different from the explanation we get later. So, I, which is the one that I've heard quoted more. But here he says. Vampire isn't a person at all. It may have the movements, the memories, even the personality of the person it took over, but it's still a demon at the core. So that allows for more of the, like he says, it may have the personality of the person it took over. So that suggests there's more possibility that yeah, that's, that's... the original personality would have an influence on yeah, that is slightly more, uh, a little more, I guess, forgiving than his earlier description where he's like, that's not your friend, that's the thing that killed your friend. Mm -hmm. And even in that speech that you just quoted, he does finish it off by saying there is, uh, there's no halfway, basically. Where he's, yeah. um, but still, it does raise questions. Um, so the, the interpretation of vampire nature and souls and all that stuff is is fluid to say the least as the series continues. But one yes. of, one of the many things about vampires I've always wondered, and I genuinely cannot remember if this is ever addressed is what, um, like what demon is, is possessing the human. Cause obviously it's not the demon that is <laughs> that, that, you know, the vampire that turns someone, it's not that demon entering a new body. This is never discussed. Okay, okay. <laughs> Mystery. It's, it's just some like, kind of like, bloodborne vampirism demon. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the question, like my question, would be: Is there, is there a dimension somewhere that's just filled with disembodied demon spirits, and every time a vampire is created, one of them is, like, they're, they've got the little deli counter thing, <laughs> and when their number comes up, they get to go, uh, or or. It, or does creating a vampire spontaneously generate a new demon? I don't know. See, this is the kind of stuff that I would love to get into, but I, yeah. I, I don't know. It does seem to be some kind of family connection. So it's a little bit maybe viral or something connected with who, who bit you. I don't know. Yeah. But we do. But speaking of family connections, I mean, the master knows Angel. Yeah. Darla 
sired angel. She um, she tells us that. So we learn just a bunch. We learn how old Angel is, how old Darla is, roughly. Yeah, two hundred and four. Uh, Giles estimates two hundred and forty years old. I think I saw somewhere the number yeah. the number two forty one. Yeah, that's the number. And Darla says she's been around since the Revolutionary War. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I cannot remember how weird that I thought it was back when the show was originally airing. I don't think it bothered me. Uh, but rewatching it now, it, I find it really awkward seeing Angel play along with, like, the high school boyfriend sneaking up to a girl's room shtick. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I am the furthest thing in the world from a prude. Like, this stuff gen generally doesn't bother me in fiction. I'm completely aware that teenagers... Uh, can be and usually are sexually active much earlier than most adults want to admit and i don't have any kids of my own but for some reason being the person i am today i i was slightly squicked out mm. <laughs> by watching uh the 16 year old buffy and 240 year old angel hook up that was just the tiniest think, bit uncomfortable the only way that works is if you you know if you think about it as somebody who has no idea you know, the way a original person watcher, you know, watches it. Mm -hmm. And Angel is still just a strange young man. Right. Okay, it's still a little weird, but <laughs> um, that's, you know, she has to sneak him out of the house, so that's the only way. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's weird. Um, and like now there's this sort of twilight well all hanging over it which yeah. is um unfortunate yeah the less but, said about that the better right let's just <laughs> let's never speak of it again um it's true but that's that's hanging over the entire relationship which is why throughout this this episode they keep saying this can never work we can't do this no kiss 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 i mean it's they know it's wrong. People keep saying a vampire and a slayer. No, no. And, but there's, it's fate. It's chemistry. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. In the context of the show, I, most, most of the characters are resistant against it because it's a slayer and a vampire, not because it's a 16 year old and a 240 year old, but, um, well, th but that's part of why they, why they're against it as well. I mean, Buffy has this conversation with Willow where Willow says, yeah, it's great. He'll stay young and handsome forever. You'll get old and wrinkly yeah, and yeah. children. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they bring up all these objections and there's just something. It just can't be stopped. Um, so I have to ask you. Yeah. In, in the grand scheme of things, are you, are you one of the shippers? Like, I, I don't want to be dismissive and assume that all Buffy fans are either uh, pro Spike or pro Angel, but it, they kind of are. So, like, which which team do you lean towards? Um, I really try not to be, or at least not to be an extreme shipper, but uh -huh. I will confess that I'll, if I have to make a choice, I am Buffy Angel. Okay. All right. That's fair. I, I have an interesting... Both, obviously, oh. both are really wrong. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I have an, an interesting thing where 
I didn't particularly care for the character of Angel in the beginning when I first watched, and I fell hard for Spike. And so I le- I'm I'm more of the Spuffy than the Bangel, to use the no. correct um, <laughs> vernacular. Uh, but yeah. at, when he got his own series, I became a massive fan of the character of Angel. So, uh huh. Oh yeah, he was. He had much more scope in his own series for yeah. sure. And it's weird now revisiting being such a, a huge fan of that series coming back here and seeing Angel at the beginning of this series. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm more into the character now than I was then. <laughs> I guess that's not that weird. I suppose that makes sense. But I, I find myself like being more into the character than I remember being yeah. in the past. So and like I said, uh, Angel and Darla both finally get to show a little uh, a little more of who they will eventually become. And I'm sure it's no coincidence that that happens in an episode written by future angel showrunner, David Greenwald. That's a good point. Yes. Um, Yeah. So he Greenwald already clearly had an idea of kind of what he wanted those characters to be like. And, and uh, Julie Benz and David Boreanaz finally got a chance to maybe feel out the characters the way they wanted. I don't know. It just, uh, it, this felt so much more like the real characters than they had. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting too, looking at the, um, at the writers and to some extent, the directors on this first season, they are just all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not until the second season that we start seeing names that will sort of become familiar recurring names, part of the um, Buffy writing staff or, um, writer's room that are regular. Yeah. Um, so I just, again, I have to wonder how much Joss Whedon there is, you know, in a rewriting capacity on these scripts, but it's hard to say. I'm sure that information is out there somewhere. There is such a huge body of work in the Whedon studies that must have been covered at some point, like how much hands on joss had in the scripts for these early episodes well we know from jane espenson that he did used to come behind and do a rewrite on a lot of scripts but she didn't she's not a writer until season two season three so again i mean i presume that's his practice all the way along but i don't know for sure yeah so uh as I apparently am want to do in this series of podcasts, um, let's talk about Xander. <laughs> okay. Xander's I'm so jealous. Yeah. So Xander's unrequited love for Buffy is a long, long running theme throughout mm-hmm. the series. And I, I don't know if it's just maybe the, the foreknowledge of a jaded veteran viewer, like I called myself earlier. Um, mm-hmm. But we're like, we're just over halfway through the first season of the series, and I feel like it's already gotten old. Am I? And there's still at least one truly significant icky thing that's going to come out of that in the, I think, the not too distant future. I can't remember exactly how far away we are from that. But so, like, am I exaggerating this? And if, if not, does the character ever, in your estimation, does the character ever really sort of recover from from where he is now. I mean, obviously the character grows and changes, but do, do, do our, does our image of Xander like ever outgrow this insecure, uh, jealous 
sort of fetishizing he, Buffy guy? I think he does, but it takes a while. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, it may not be until five or six. Well, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna guess six, um, but is okay. Remind me, is Hell's Bells is that season six? That's six, yeah. That's six, okay. I I don't know why I'm thinking of that as a moment where Xander kind of recovers from the I don't want to say character assassination. That's super harsh. It's not that bad, but like the character traits that are established early on, I was going to say maybe Hell's Bells is where that happens, which is preposterous. I don't know why I would say that because again, it's been a long time since I've seen that. I'm not 100% sure, but one of the mitigating like like one of the factors that plays into his decision making in that is he hasn't quite let go of his feelings for Buffy. Is that correct? Um, yes. I mean, that's what his supposed future self tells him is that he'll, you know, sort of be pining after her. And that's, that's what will cause the big fight. See, I forgot, um, I forgot there was a future self. See, this is what I'm talking about. My memory really is spotty. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So I don't know if that counts as, him like making maybe it's maybe it's not till seven it it is a fear that he has that he won't be able to sort of get past that and truly commit so yeah that's a fear that he has and and it's in um you know it's one of the fears that he can't tell anya um that she's afraid of in uh i'll never tell and once more with feeling Uh right when things get uh uh Huffy, he hides behind his buff, behind his buffy. Oh, oh look at you, even remembering lyrics and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm a sad person who's listened to that way too many times. <laughs> when can, things get rough, he just hides behind his buffy. Uh, Pam, my wife and I have been on a mu- musicals kick lately, and she made a playlist of selections from like all of her favorite musicals, and she played it for me the other day, and it had songs from Once More with Feeling in it. I was like, oh, damn it, now I need to rewatch that. <laughs> Um, that's great. Um, guns. Guns. I know. <laughs> so it's, I feel like guns are used so rarely in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's worth mentioning whenever they pop up. I, I agree. Am I okay? Am I misremembering here? I, I know that the initiative soldiers use guns unless I'm, unless I'm mistaken. Were those real guns yeah. or do they use tasers? Well, they are some kind of high tech weapon they they're tasers or they have some kind of you know ray gun thingy or something there so they're not just um bullets yeah okay all right but Um, but in any case they they carry around guns um and and and, you know of course warren uses one to horrific effect Um, yes and that's that's definitely seen as a um as an exception, as an unusual occasion. Yeah, and then guns pop up all over the place in Angel the series, I think. But as far as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they we almost never see guns. So it was. There's a guy who uses uh, silver bullets to hunt werewolves. Oh, okay. Later okay. on. See, that's almost the whole silver bullet for werewolves thing is almost, um, like that almost steps out of the realm of just gun for me. I don't know. There was something visceral about, I like, I almost gasped out loud when, <laughs> when Darla pulls out guns. Cause it's just so, maybe it's just the climate that we live in now. Like the social climate that we're living in 
mm-hmm. today, but that, that was like a, I had a visceral reaction to seeing Darla pull out two guns. Yeah. And all the other weapons are so medieval. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, whoa, gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that other than that was a, that was a shocking moment for me. I had it, forgotten it happened. It shockingly raises the level of violence somehow. Um, and yet Buffy still manages to win. But Buffy doesn't kill Darla. Angel does. Right. I So I have to ask you about that scene when he stakes her mm-hmm. uh, or bolts her or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what I was going to ask. I, I felt like... I was I was trying to count the bullets. I feel like she shot way more. Like <laughs> those were Hollywood guns. I feel like she emptied the, <laughs> emptied the clips like three times over in that scene. But regard yeah. regardless, I I almost wish that that scene had, had happened like with Darla like standing over Buffy, getting ready to shoot. Mm-hmm. It felt like it. It feels like it might have maybe had a little more weight. And maybe this is just because I'm fa- I'm front loading. Uh, my feelings for Darla, but at the time when Angel pops up behind her and, and dusts her, like uh, Buffy is completely behind cover. Darla's still quite a ways away from her. Now she's making her way over there, but I don't know. I didn't feel like uh, Buffy was in immediate mortal danger at that particular moment. So how did you feel about that scene? I think you have a point there, but everything's moving very fast. So yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't fault Angel for doing it. I just, it might have felt, might have felt more heartbreaking for me, pun intended, if uh, yes. if Buffy had had like a literal gun to her head when he did that. But at any rate, so that's a good point. I, I guess it is what it is now. Yeah. So this episode gives us the first. Um, uh, well, we we didn't even talk about all of the the data download that we get about angel. I mean, we find out he's 240 years old, but we also get the significant details about like, he's been cursed by uh, yes. gypsies to have his soul back in his body. He, so he tells the story about the gypsy curse. Yeah. Which doesn't change an awful lot. I think going no. forward, I, th- I think most of the significant details that he lays out there, they hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, Although I think he said, I think he claims that from that day on, he never fed on another living human. And that's not true. We know that's not true. We find out that's not true. Yeah. Um, but whatever, a, a little exaggeration or faux pas, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then in the next episode, uh, I mean, are we ready to move on? Are we ready to move on to I, Robot um, yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I do think the, the final, the closing scene there, which is where, again, Buffy and Angel are just drawn together. Yeah. And again, there's still the resistance. You know, this can't, I think that dialogue is really well done. Right? They're inter finishing each other's sentences. This can't ever be anything. She brings up his age again. You're 224 years older. Mm-hmm. And um, then. Age is just a number. Ages well, they just can't help being drawn together. But he pulls away, and she says, "It's painful." And yes, it is because her cross is yeah. burned yeah. into the skin, and he's. But he, there's 
uh, yeah, this is. I mean, this ship is doomed. I, I, I mean, so I, uh, especially back when I was in my mid and late twenties, when this show was airing, I was a hopeless romantic. I'm, I've had some of that beaten out of me over the years, but back then in particular, I was a hopeless romantic. So I, and the whole doomed love affair and the star crossed lovers thing, like that seriously spoke to me back then. So I cannot for the life of me explain why. Um, I, I never, at the time, I never really felt the, (laughs) the impact of this, like even watching it now and knowing where everything goes, I'm like, I don't get it. Why was I not 100% on board for this? Cause this is so star crossed lovers and all that stuff. Like this is tail. This was tailor made for me and clearly tailor made for countless of other fans, because this is the, you know, that's the cross shaped scar that launched a thousand ships. I suppose. <laughs> that's yep. You that's it. Yep. That's right. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. I think we need to get out of this. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I robot you, Jane, which uh, maybe, maybe uh, the episode certainly doesn't age well, or maybe at all. Maybe it doesn't age at all. I don't know. But, but I'm not. Perfect example of technology. The technology here is, does not age well. Yeah. At all. Yeah. But I'm not quite sure that it's as bad maybe as its reputation. So what do you. What do you think? Well, you know, a lot of the things, even though the uh, actual technology that they're working with, obviously, you know, it's 1997. um, The phenomena that they're talking about, we're still talking about it. Yeah. You know, so it seems kind of prophetic in some ways. I don't know. So when John says that uh what is it um human he wants us he fit giles fears a society in which uh he says human interaction is obsolete and people can be manipulated by technology well it's here giles i'm sorry yeah i mean he was totally right to be afraid of that yeah um yeah it's so weird there there's such a mix of of like eye rolling until i almost fall out of my chair and then um, also going, damn, he, he, you know, they were onto something here. So yeah. obviously the, like at the time, the sort of metaphor here was, it wasn't a metaphor. This was, this was completely the, the subtext was text in this episode, but it's all about like the dangers of online dating and uh, that sort of stuff. But uh, this is, this is extreme catfishing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like, it's always, it's always weird. It's always uncomfortable to watch. Um, yeah. I mean, but it, it hasn't gotten much better on television shows now. Like the representation of technology on like computers on TV hasn't improved that much or hasn't gotten that much more accurate, I guess. But still the fact that Willow had to read all of her, as she was typing, she had to say all of her lines out loud because the oh, audience, they, yeah. we can't trust the audience to read a computer screen. And uh, that every single computer has a voice box and yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. There, there's so many things in here that you're like, that's just dumb, that's but whatever. It's okay. Characters like some kind of escapee from snow crash or something. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, 
But, but you can't skip this episode because this is the episode where we meet Miss Calendar. That is literally what I was about to say. Uh, yeah, first appearance of Jenny Calendar, although we don't get the name Jenny yet. And uh, so I've read that she was not meant to be a recurring character. Um, like, uh, initially she was just supposed to be in this episode, but the sort of rapport or whatever, the chemistry that she had with Anthony Stewart Head uh, was so powerful they decided to write her into the series i think that is crazy considering the placement of her like the timing of her introduction we're introduced to her immediately after hearing uh angel's origin story and and of course jenny calendar we find out is intimately tied to the whole angel backstory but I don't know to what extent they determined that she would be part of that. Well, that, no, that's what I'm saying. I, yeah. They clearly didn't know that since she wasn't intended to be a recurring character. And yeah. um, I'm just saying I, it's fascinating that that uh, she's introduced immediately after that, mm-hmm. apparently coincidentally. And then it becomes apparent that she's significant to his backstory. It makes perfect sense, though, for for her to be the one because of her connection with uh, supernatural stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, the actress, Robbie Lamort, uh, is just, like, I had forgotten how much I adored Jenny calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, genuinely. I, I remember, like, I know where the storyline is going. <laughs> um, it's yes. terrible. It's terrible and tragic, but I honestly had forgotten that how much fun she was right from the beginning. Oh yeah. She's got a great attitude and she's got some really funny lines and yeah. Yeah. Her and Giles, Giles says, I'll be back in the middle ages. Did you ever leave? (laughs) Did you ever leave? (laughs) That's great. My note says Jenny one Giles zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, I love her. Uh, so (laughs) let's talk Mm -hmm. about, okay. No, before we get, before I get into that, cause that's pretty heavy. I want to ask, much ink has been spilled over this. Um, so I'm not going to say anything new or clever, but I want to get your take on the, the massive glaring major on-screen error. Or do you know what I'm referring to? Um, I guess not. The, the, <laughs> the, uh, when Moloch hacks into Buffy's, uh, old school records, and yeah. it, it pops up on the screen. Now, of course, I don't have any of this written down in front of me, so I'm going to make up some numbers. But the point here is when it first pops up on the screen, like it lists her birth date, which I believe the first uh, when it pops up, it says it's October something 1980 uh, and uh, says that she's a sophomore. Then uh, Moloch sends that file to another computer. So it immediately like the scene cuts to another computer and that file comes up and all of the information on it is different and still wrong. So it comes up on the next computer and it says that her birthday is in, I think May uh, and that she's a senior. (laughs) Okay. I have to admit I was not watching that bit that closely. So I missed it this time. If I, if I've seen anything about it before I, didn't remember i'm sorry (laughs) okay all right well that is kind of but that is pretty bad (laughs) i just i don't i don't actually remember what buffy's actual birth date is i think it's in january right i think it's usually considered to be in january but i think probably the reason that they put it in some other month 
is because when did this originally air? Um, um, original air date was April 28th, 1997. So that's probably why. Why? Since, well, because they wanted to give her a birthday that was within the um, scope of this, the time the show was on, mm -hmm. probably. Um, even if they weren't going to talk about it. Right. So if they had it in May, they may have been thinking, oh, well, half Buffy's birthday be a thing. Um, I don't think Buffy has a birthday in season one. I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, we're running out of episodes. Maybe she yeah. doesn't. That may be a thing that starts in season two. It, it, season two, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, it's usually around january so like surprise well, i mean we we see her headstone at one point and i can't remember but is there a, is there a date listed on that uh i can't visualize it right now but okay well not. it doesn't matter but, i just well, it's the reason her birthday is usually placed january 19th january 20th is because that's the dates when surprise and innocence aired okay in season two okay well at any rate the, the, these are but, the these are the little details that a lot of people really dig into, and I never managed to. <laughs> I couldn't retain any of this stuff, so. Yeah, I didn't didn't pay any attention to that this time. If I ever have before, so sorry. But that's just an example, though, of how the technology. You know, this here's an episode that's supposed to be all about computers and technology, and they really didn't put that much into it. Into <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. Before I move into the really disturbing thing that I wanted to ask you about, uh, back on the back on the subject of Jenny Calendar, um, I I love the fact that she. I, damn it! I just love this character. I hate the fact that she doesn't stick around for. I hate the fact that we did not get seven seasons of Jenny Calendar. Um, but I love the whole techno pagan thing. I love the fact that she's a she's kind of a witch i mean she she says i'm don't have enough power to be a witch but like it brings that whole witchcraft element in mm -hmm. and even though we don't necessarily see it in this episode i do remember that she becomes sort of a i don't remember if she becomes a tutor but she certainly becomes an inspiration uh for willow going yes. forward um so yeah and I, and I just loved all the back and forth between her and giles talking about uh you know email and bone casting is just as valid a way of getting information as books. And I, I loved when she threw back in his face that uh, all this trouble started with one of your books, by the way. That's right. Well, yeah. And she just brings in another option for how uh, information can be used. Yes. Books, but we can, you know, this is a world in which we have other, other ways of, uh, spreading information and using information so that you know the supernatural can be part of that too mm -hmm. not necessarily in an evil demon way <laughs> <laughs> um ashley gable and thomas a swyden i believe is how those are pronounced those are the credited writers on this episode yes. um I, I don't know off the top of my head if either of them ever show up again never i don't think that they do um but it is <sighs> I am particularly taken with like the exchanges between Giles and Jenny uh, because they 
both I love the fact that they are arguing from they're arguing the same point from opposite sides and they both make valid points like I'd completely love their conversation about when Giles is explaining why uh, knowledge should be tactile or whatever that whole should be smelly (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I loved that I loved everything he said and then she and I anytime writers can have one character like give a speech and have me saying yes damn straight Giles you tell her and then have the other character give a counterpoint and you're like well damn she's right too mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it I love it anytime writers can pull that off so tip of the hat to those writers who apparently never come back yeah. um, alright so the uncomfortable thing <laughs> that I wanted to okay. bring up which I'm not I'm not 100% sure if I would have put this together if I hadn't so I was looking through um, Nikki Stafford's book, Bite Me, and in her write-up on this episode, she points out uh, the disturbing element of the episode are the allusions intended or not to Nazi Germany. Are you aware of this or did you catch any of this? Um, let's see. I think I did, but I didn't spend a lot of time on it in my notes. Um, is it, isn't this what, what Moloch wants to establish a Empire kind of thing is this what you're thinking of? Um, well, I mean, she she talks about the fact that I mean, she's drawing illusions between Moloch and Hitler. Uh, yeah. uh, but she also points out, um, like the significant things she pointed out are, at one point, uh, Buffy and Xander are trapped in uh, a, a gas chamber, basically. Oh yeah. The uh, one of the one of his minions, uh, one of the computer lab kids, his minions is named Fritz, which, uh, Oh is, yeah. Yeah. Um, which Some was a word. Minion. Yeah. A word the allied forces used for German soldiers. Um, mm-hmm. his main target, at least the main target that we're concerned with in the episode is Willow, who happens to be Jewish. Right. Although I don't think the show has made that clear at this point. True. I don't think we even know her last name yet. Uh, oh, and Buffy almost dies in a shower. That's true. By electrocution, but uh, still. Yes, yes. But anyways, um, so yeah, I don't know that... I'm, I'm not sure on this rewatch if if any of that really stood out to me. Like my, I went to a jokey place with the name Fritz because I love the, the 70s film uh, Wizards, the Ralph Bakshi film Wizards, and there's a... <laughs> hilarious thing in that with a character named Fritz, but which is significantly tied into Nazi imagery. Now that I'm thinking now that this is all Uh, rolling through my head, but Uh still I went to a jokey place with that name. I was like, Fritz, really? They named the character Fritz. Uh, But upon reading her descriptions of this, it's a little unnerving, especially like the gas chamber and the fact that uh, Willow is Jewish. That's, that's weird. Yes. Of course, Willow isn't in the gas chamber. No. It's no. Buffy and Xander. Um, yeah, but I think when... when and, Scar- and Jenny... When, and I'm sorry, and Jenny Callender is a gypsy, and gypsies didn't fare any better under the Nazis than... That's true. Yeah. So all those elements are in there. They're... Moloch isn't... What? Um, well, he's a biblical character. Yeah. At, who was... Uh, you know, not who was a god of the enemies of the Jews, so there's that too. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I have no idea what that, you know, I don't know what any of that means. I don't know. It's, um, it seems like there's so much. You know, I don't think they're trying to create a deliberate, like one-to-one -one correspondence, Yeah. but by putting those elements in the, in the episode, mm -hmm. um, they probably do want some, some resonance to be set up in the viewer mind. If you pick it up. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then there was the kid who, uh, had his, his 1997 version of a laptop <laughs> and, uh, his paper had been changed. Um, uh -huh. and he was like, Nazi Germany was a model of a well-ordered society. I didn't write that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there's that def that illusion that's about as obvious as you can get. Yeah. So yeah. Paul clearly thinks that, um, following that example would be a good thing. He's, he's willing, Moloch is willing to do uh, experiments on people. I mean, he changes in some of the background conversation. You hear things like um, people's uh, medical records were changed. Right. Yeah. Things like that. So yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's quite a bit. Yeah. When you start thinking about it. So. All right. So I don't know what that, uh, I don't know if that changes anybody's perceptions of I robot you Jane, but there you have it. Um, and again, this one has a, a great uh, ending uh, oh, yeah. final scene yeah. with the three of them laughing in a kind of ironic or mm -hmm. not too happy way about how they all have doomed love lives. Yeah. And that, mm -hmm, that's pretty much true. <laughs> yes, it is. It won't always be played for laughs, but it was pretty funny there. Yeah. Um, like, you know, when they all say we're doomed and then they laugh and then they stop laughing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great end to the episode. So. And this is our first, this is our first, but sadly not our last robot in the world of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> um, oh. I mean, so the, like, the Moloch is a joke. So, yeah. Robot. Yeah. Robot. The, uh, the, the Moloch like demon design, uh, is one of the best in this season so far. I've, I've praised the makeup effects, um, the prosthetics they put on Mark Metcalf as the master. Um, but the Moloch demon design is great. I think Yeah, it's, it's impressive. Um, the robot Moloch effects are less <laughs> impressive. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know why I get so hung up on the fact that there's a, a lab in Sunnydale that's capable of creating a science fictiony robot, but, but there's going to be so much more that will suddenly appear in Sunnydale. <laughs> I, I know. I don't know why this particular one grates on me and clearly they refine it. So by the time we get to, to Warren and all that stuff, I mean, They've, they've clearly advanced their robot technology and I don't have a problem with that at all. The, the Buffy bot is one of the greatest things we ever get on the show. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The Moloch robot is one of those things that I'm like, Oh, they, what, what are they thinking? Well, it's basically, it's a robot created by a medieval. So maybe that Presum presumably under a timeline too. Like Moloch hadn't yeah. been around that long and he really had to get that lab back up and running. <laughs> And build a robot in, in quick, under in quick order. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what else I have. I forgot to 
express my revulsion at the whole cockroach fumigation party. Oh, yeah. Good Lord. Well, haven't even talk, I don't know. Maybe you talked about the bronze with... Uh, I didn't really, so... Someone else, but the whole the phenomenon of the bronze is something that will continue, but it's just weird how they have this place that apparently serves minors, which means it can't serve alcohol. Mm-hmm. Or if it does, it has the world's best identification system. Right. And everybody goes there. Yeah. And and apparently it's uh it's like no cover night virtually every night that we see it, but there is always someone at the door taking money. Yeah. Like sitting in front of the sign that says no cover. That has to be a joke. It happens so often that had to have been an intentional <laughs> joke. I guess. Um, and they always have these great bands. Yeah, think. yeah. So we I've I've talked about the sort of some of the like teen TV drama tropes that this show leans into. And I feel like the having the the regular dance club or whatever, the central location, some shows have a coffee shop, other shows have I don't know what, but but here we've got the bronze, which gives them an opportunity to have like up and coming indie bands. Yes. Perform, which was a great thing that Buffy did. I have yeah, to say. Yeah. Which, I mean, obviously it helps out those bands, uh, but it presumably it also helps the show too. It brings some of those bands probably have exist pre-existing fans that tune into the show and, um, you know, eventually they go on to help sell soundtrack albums. So it works out for everybody, but it, it does feel like kind of a trope that was introduced because this was meant to be like a, a teen comedy drama series or whatever right and 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 it does kind of go away eventually doesn't it does the bronze i know we come back to it in later seasons but i think i feel like the bronze becomes much less of a a factor i think it really after season three i think that's the last we see of it um in season four there is a bar that's similar for, for the college students go but that's a different place oh so like I'm specifically thinking of the scene when uh, with the bo- the body swap episode, the title of which I can't remember. Um, when when Faith and Buffy's body. This year's girl, who are you? This year's girl is that what it's called? Okay. I think so. Yeah, there's a there's like a bar scene in that. Yeah, For I some think... reason, I was remembering that as the bronze, but you're saying that's a different place. I think so. Guess I'll have to watch it again. Gee, that'll be hard. <laughs> So, uh, were you on the uh, bronze posting board or whatever it was called? I can't uh, remember. I was not one of the people that made that made it into that club. I don't think I even knew it existed because I was kind of clueless about online fandom until yeah, much later. Oh, that I'm so glad we you just said that because that reminds me. I was going to tell my uh, my origin story with my wife. Yes. So this this episode centers on the whole online dating thing and posits it as being a very dangerous and, and unwholesome thing. Yes. Uh, my wife and I met online, not on an online dating thing, but we actually met on a Buffy fan board. It was specifically a Spike fan board, actually, but it was How Buffy. How did you know you weren't an elderly Dutch woman? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I, if you were to ask her today, she might still not know, but... Um, but yeah, so that is how we met over a vast distance. Actually, we were separated by uh, a couple thousand miles. Wow! Uh, when we met, but uh, yeah, so it was online. It was an online romance brought about by Buffy the Vampire Slayer that led me to my wife. That's fantastic. 
So take that, iRobot Eugene. <laughs> that is great. Yeah, um, I have met people through online um, discussion boards as well, not um, on other topics, not uh, Buffy, but not romantically, but uh, friend-wise, so that's pretty good. None of them have been axe murderers or demons. Well, I think that's it. Um, Okay. Those three episodes. Those three episodes. Um, Yeah, so I think two of them, extremely important. Um, Even iRobot Eugene, although it has some really terrible stuff in it, it has some also, I mean, Jenny Callender, you have to watch it for her. Absolutely. Yeah, I really think it's unfair to to knock I robot you Jane. Cause it, it really is just the, the, the tech stuff that's laughable. Yeah. The story itself is, is really good and, and important and leads to other stuff. But anyways, I, I say thumbs up to all three of them. I feel like this was a much better conversation than we got out of uh, teacher's pet and, <laughs> and that stuff. But at yeah. any rate, so thank you so much for uh, doing back to back episodes with me. Um, once again, uh, we've just talked about the dangers of, of online social interaction. Uh, how can any, uh, ancient demons or robots find you online? Um, they can find me on Twitter at EL, EL Rambo. And, uh, that's probably the best. All right. All right. Um, Well, thank you, everybody at home, for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, uh, please rate us or write us a review. Uh, As it turns out, other people have done Buffy podcasts. I was completely unaware of this. So (laughs) Um, if you could spare some kind words for for me and or this show that could really help us stand out from the crowd. If you've got any questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. Drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash conswithdead. Uh, Next up, I'll be joined by Alexander Lester, teaching associate in the Department of Popular Culture at Bowling Green State University. Uh, He'll be joining me to discuss episodes 109, The Puppet Show, and what that should be fun, and 110, Nightmares. So uh, until then, Gerarg, everybody. Gerarg. Stay break. And you are asleep. I can hear you breathe now Your breath is deep But before I go I'll look at you one last time I can hear a heartbeat Is it your heart?